Hi, and welcome back to the official podcast of the WCD. There's a World Congress of Dermatology which will be held next in Singapore in 2023. I'm Dr. Etienne Wang from the National Skin Centre of Singapore and I will be your host for this podcast. You can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pocket Casts and wherever else you get your podcasts. In this podcast, I speak with dermatologists and skin researchers from all over the world to talk about all things dermatology. And before we start, I would like to remind you that registration and abstract submissions are open for WCD. And you can use the links in the description to submit your abstract. And today, Shashin is back with a derm topic for discussion. Hi, Shashin. How are you? Hi, Dr. Tien. Doing well and nice to be back again. What are we talking about today? Well, um, it's just been Oscar season, I, so I thought we'd talk about some awards in dermatology. So the Allergen of the Ear is an annual uh. award that the American Contact Dermatitis Society gives. They choose an allergen for every year. And it's actually designed to draw attention to allergens that are very either common, underrecognized, or need more attention because of how they're causing significant allergic contact dermatitis. And the allergen for 2022 was something very ubiquitous, aluminium. Aluminium, or as the Brits call it, aluminium. <laughs> and I think it's very topical now also because of all the vaccines people are getting. I, I believe aluminium is a aluminium. Aluminium <laughs> is a is an adjuvant in a lot of vaccines, isn't it? Yes, it is. In fact, a lot of studies first found aluminium allergies through studying patients who had vaccines containing aluminium. Hmm. Okay, such as? So uh, I think the uh, Tdap in Sweden, there were some studies where they had looked at children, and I think some of the most common um, manifestations of um, aluminium um, sensitivity were as subcutaneous nodules and exhibitous plaques. Um, mm. So vaccines, for example, containing aluminium salts, they had found it. So in the 1980s, there were um, some articles reporting aluminium allergy uh, that were unrelated to vaccines. But uh, there have been some reports, in mainly from Sweden, uh, from the 1990s on cutaneous eruptions from aluminium-containing vaccines. Um, so hundreds of kids got the newer um, aluminium-absorbed uh, diphtheria tetanus and acellular pertussis vaccines in the 1990s, after which they developed itching sub cutaneous nodules at the injection sites. So they did patch testing in about almost 500 uh, children with these uh, subcutaneous nodules using uh, aluminium in petrolatum and an empty fin chamber. And 77% of these kids had uh, a demonstrated aluminium allergy. Hmm. What else is aluminium found in? For starters, our food. So certain foods are known to contain aluminium. So fruits and vegetables, but not just food, but even wrappers, so aluminium foil, which we have in our kitchen cabinets, is known to contain aluminium. Oh, does that uh, leach into food? In small quantities, but uh, it's more it's not really from consuming the food that's wrapped in aluminium foil, but rather consuming certain food types which naturally contain uh, food. So, for example, tea leaves, mushrooms, spinach, radish, they're known to be more oh, likely wow. to absorb and accumulate aluminium than other foods based on some sources. But fruits, vegetables, meat, fish, and even grains and dairy is known to contain small amounts of aluminium naturally. Oh, wow. Okay. I know use of aluminium in our dry claw, which we use for palmapanta, hyperhidrosis, and hemostasis sometimes. Yes, definitely. Medication's a big component of aluminium-containing mm. products as well. And is aluminium in our standard patch test series? From what I know, it's not in the standard patch test. Interestingly, a lot of these studies said that rather than um, testing elemental aluminium meat, it should always be patch-tested um, compounded in petrolatum making it a more sensitive marker. And do you know whether they patch test to aluminum itself or a salt of aluminum? 
So the patch test is supposed to be done with aluminium chloride hexahydrate or ACH that's compounded in petrolatum. Okay, well, that is very useful to know. And I think um, we should all look out for these subcutaneous nodules from aluminium. I don't think I've seen any. Do you think you have? I personally haven't. I mean, looking at the literature, uh, it was interesting that they also mentioned some sensitizing to aluminium because mm -hmm. the first reports of a possible sensitizer were in the 40s when they had these mm -hmm. occupational contact dermatitis actually among aircraft workers. Uh, wonder if it was actually during the World War time. There was also, yes, uh, antiperspirants, deodorants later on, astringents, elemental aluminium as well, which have been known to sensitize. But I personally haven't seen any patients yet. Okay, very interesting, and I think we will all keep a lookout. Okay, thank you, Shashan, and I'll see you next time. Thank you, and see you again. Okay, bye. Bye. <laughs> and now, I'd like to welcome to the podcast, Professor Lee Hao-Ye. He's the head of the Dermatology Department at the Singapore General Hospital and their director of the Allergy Centre. He's also the president of the Dermatological Society of Singapore. Welcome, Hao-Ye, to the podcast. Hi, hi, Etienne. How's your, how's your week been? Um, it's been great. A bit busy, but I think all of us are. Yeah, so um, we're right in the middle of a pandemic and you one of your specialties is hospital dermatology. Can you tell us how that has affected your practice? It has affected mainly in the way we assess patients. I think due to isolation of, of COVID patients. So one of the initiatives that we started in a hospital was to review patients Dermatology, inpatient consultations via tele-dermatology. And that has worked out quite well. Hmm. Yes, and I noticed that you have a publication on tele-dermatology recently. How many patients do you see uh, in tele-dermatology on average? Um, it varies. So in our inpatient tele-dermatology, we, we restrict these patients to mainly those who are COVID-positive or are suspected of having COVID. So it really varies, you know, some days we would have one or two um, and some days none. Mm. And how do you get around the examination? So what we've gotten is, you know, to have the referral doctors to send multiple pictures to us and it's a store and forward kind of a system. We review the patient's uh, photographs and then provide treatment, and then we'll get them to send pictures, you know, sequentially. Mm, and a good thing that everyone has a 4K camera yeah, in their pockets yeah. these days. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Another part of your specialty is um, cutaneous drug reactions. Uh, do you see a lot of patients with drug reactions from the COVID vaccine? Um, yes, I think more and more, I think we, we do recognize quite a spectrum of uh, cutaneous reaction from the various vaccines. And... Uh, most of them are mild and benign. Usually, they are not a contraindication to subsequent vaccination, but some of them are a little bit troublesome and, and requires a little bit of treatment and reassurance for these patients. Do you actually do any testing for these patients or any investigations that you think these patients might need? When the vaccination exercises first started and, and the reactions started coming in, we started off doing skin tests to PEG and to the vaccine, but we haven't found that extremely useful in, in predicting or confirming type 1 reactions, so we've kind of abandoned that from routine practice. Mm. Yeah, it seems to be a very difficult thing to predict with a, with a simple test. Yeah. Some of your other recent publications include um, melanoma, especially melanoma in Asian populations. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Actually, melanoma started off as a, a registrar 
project and and I think since then there has been some sort of a sustained interest in that and we were looking at how the presentation of melanoma in Asians might differ from the Caucasian population and I think not surprisingly a large proportion of them were acrolentigenous but I think what was striking was that there was often a prolonged delay from the onset till it was picked up by a medical professional and I think many reasons uh, can account for that. These patients often you know see many specialties before they end up with dermatologists. The feet is not a, an area that is routinely examined you know by many professionals and I think you know there is a perhaps an emphasis of sun exposure as pathogenesis and while that is true you know patients who are sensible under the sun you know may think that they are not at risk and they don't associate these pigmented lesions with uh, being a melanoma. What ways do you think you can increase uh, public awareness of this condition? Um, I think that the first thing is, is really just uh, education and being aware that you know if there's anything that is pigmented on your palms and soles then it's good to have them reviewed by a you know doctor yeah and i think you know even as as medical professionals and dermatologists i think it's in our complete skin examination i think it's vital that we get you know patients to remove their shoes and socks so that we can can really expose and, and examine every single inch of the skin. And much like the way we educate hairdressers to look out for AA and scarring and lapidus, yeah. maybe we can get manicurists and podiatrists Exactly, you know, I think that's, that's yeah. a great idea. I think, yeah. Uh, you also had a very interesting paper, I thought, about obstructive sleep apnea and melanoma incidence. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, so I think, you know, in, in OSA, we, we kind of know that it's no longer just a, a sleep issue. And we think that it's, uh, you know, with uh, constant breaks in your sleep cycle, it's probably sets up a, a sort of an inflammatory milieu. And that probably sets the stage for many chronic diseases like diabetes, hypertension. And I think one of our, our students wanted to see if there was a link between that and melanoma. And, and I think it was surprising and not so surprising that indeed there was a, a small risk attributed to uh, uh, OSA. In the hypothesis, you all mentioned about hypoxia and melanoma pathogenesis. Do you see this in other hypoxic conditions like, let's say, COPD? Not that I am aware, but you know, I think part of the reason, I, I think there are two hypotheses. We don't know whether this intermittent hypoxia may play a role. Secondly, many OSA patients are, are a lot younger compared to, say, COPD. So, But I think we really don't know. No, I thought it was a very interesting correlation. You're also the president of the Dermatological Society of Singapore. Do you have any events coming up that you'd like to share with us? Um, yes, we'll be holding our 50th anniversary um, celebration later this year in conjunction with our annual scientific meeting. Wow. Yeah, it's been 50 years. That's amazing. 50 years of dermatology in Singapore. Yeah. That's a big milestone. Yeah, it is, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, and such a coincidence that we're having we're celebrating with the WCD next year as well. Yeah, yeah. So I think it's it's really a coming of age for the society. Does the DSS have any plans for any events around the WCD? Um, yeah, I think we are planning to have our own dinners and and events. But I think you know we are planning all of these you know 
round all of the measures and hopefully things will ease up a little bit and, and we'll be able to have a bit more fun and, and enjoy each other's uh, company face to face. Yes, yeah. after a long, long time. Yeah. Here's looking towards an uh, uh, in-person WCD. Yeah. Okay, well, thank you so much, Howie, for sharing with us today. Thanks, thanks, Etienne. Thank you for having me. <laughs> thank you, okay. thank you. Okay, okay bye. thanks, Etienne. Thank you for joining us on another episode of the official podcast of the WCD. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram at WCD Singapore, and check out the WCD website, wcd2023singapore.org for more updates and content on the WCD. At that website, you can find links to register for the WCD and submit your abstracts for next year's WCD. And until next time, stay safe and use sunblock.